Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the Central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. All right, folks, Saturday morning in Central New York means it's time for just one thing. It's time for Fizz Radio right here on the Score 1260. J.D. Rachi alongside Thomas Schultz. Thomas, we have got a lot to get to in this show. Number one, Syracuse basketball looks like they're back on track. Are they? We'll discuss. We'll try to figure it out. We'll also get you ready for that Georgetown game later today, big rivalry matchup. And then, of course, next week it's Fizzmas. And if you don't know what Fizzmas is, then you might be new to the Fizz. It's National Signing Day. Early National Signing Period starts next Wednesday. We'll preview the entire 2020 class for Syracuse football and kind of where they lie and where we think there might be some good things in this class, there might be some bad things. But let's start with basketball. That's kind of the uh, soup du jour and soup soup of the month um, here at Orange Fizz is kind of where this basketball team is at. Coming off a big win against Georgia Tech last week, last Saturday, went down to Atlanta and really blew the doors off of a pretty pretty good Yellow Jackets team. Yeah, they did. And Joe Girard actually told the Fizz that prior to the Georgia Tech game and after the bad Iowa loss, the whole team at a team meeting just kind of regroup and get back on the same page. And they came out absolutely swinging. Elijah Hughes was dominant, probably the best we've ever seen Elijah Hughes play in the first half. And then Buddy Bayheim just picked up the slack where Hughes left off and carried SU to the victory. And it was really never in question. I mean, you look at that that game, you put up 97 against Bucknell, and you're like, all right, eh, it's Bucknell, whatever. Like, they're not a very good team. They haven't really played anybody. Like, that's a mid-major you should beat up on. But you look at Georgia Tech, putting up 97 against an ACC opponent on the road in your first true road game of the season, that's really, really impressive stuff. And you're not always going to get 30-plus points from Elijah Hughes. You're not always going to get 20-plus points from Buddy Beheim and have both those guys have career highs uh, in, in every single game. But when this offense comes together, I think it's proof that this offense can be good. I think this is kind of similar, honestly, to what Dino Baber said about the football team uh, right after the Maryland game, where against Liberty in Week 1, they were dominant defensively, shut Liberty out, gave up negative four, whatever it was, rushing yards, and then they got absolutely walloped and just thumped by Maryland next week, gave up 62 points, over 300 rushing yards. And he said, listen, I don't think we're as good as we showed last week defensively. I don't think we're as bad as we showed this week. I think the same can be said for Syracuse basketball. I don't think they're as bad as they played, for example, against Penn State at Barclays Center or how bad they were against Iowa. I don't think they're that bad offensively. I also certainly don't think they're 97 points per game in ACC play good offensively. I think it's somewhere in the middle. But at least now you've got a little bit to kind of latch onto as a Syracuse basketball fan and say, okay, everybody take a deep breath. We're not that bad. You know, this is a young team. They could come together and they can have performances like they had against Georgia Tech. And the biggest thing about this team is just, like you mentioned, J.D., how young they are. There's there's going to be frustrations all throughout this season, especially when you really kick it into gear in ACC play and start playing those Dukes, those UNCs, the Louisville's, who is probably the best team in the conference this year. There's going to be a lot of struggles, but this is a team that is going to continue to grow and continue to get better. So, we're probably right now seeing the worst they're going to be. And look, they're not going to play like they did against, against Georgia Tech often. I don't think that's not going to happen. They played very well on defense. They played extraordinarily well on offense. 
But you need other guys to step up besides Elijah Hughes and Buddy Beheim. You need guys like Joe Girard to step up. Another thing that this team did in this game, which they haven't done much this year, is they hit free throws. This season, they're shooting below 70%. Against Georgia Tech, they hit 25 of 30. So if that trend continues, that's huge for this team. And it wasn't just Hughes and uh, Buddy Beheim. Merrick Dolezal was 5 of 6 in the line. Joe Girard hit a couple as well. Bryson Goodine hit 3 of 4. So everybody kind of contributed in that regard. And the other big thing that you can really take from this game against Georgia Tech and maybe start garnishing some optimism for the future is Merrick Dolezal and Baramasi Dibé pulled down offensive boards. Each had four. Syracuse is a team. Ten offensive rebounds. Very important for this team in the future. For a team that got beaten so badly, I mean so badly on the boards. Like I was at that game. That was so bad against Penn State when they got out-rebounded by I think it was 29. They gave up 57 total rebounds. They gave up 24 offensive rebounds to Penn State who – Granted, they're a team where their strength lies in their forwards with a guy like Mike Watkins and a guy like Lamar Stevens at the power forward and center positions, but still, to get out-rebounded that badly, and again, to get out-rebounded pretty badly against Iowa, where their strength lies in Luka Garza, they're all, uh, all Big Ten center, who then, a couple of days later, you think what he did against Syracuse was impressive, which it was, he just went ahead and put up 44 points on the road against the number four team in the country in Michigan. Iowa lost that game, but he scored 44 points. So I think what I'm trying to say with kind of bringing that up and bringing those two games up again, it's kind of regressing toward the mean a little bit. I don't think they're as bad rebounding as they showed against Penn State or Iowa. I don't think they're necessarily as good as they showed against Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech is a team that's interesting for me. They're kind of struggling with do we have something to play for this season? Because they've got some violations, but there's an appeal in, so technically they can still play in the postseason. There's a whole bunch of things going around their program. Jose Alvarado, their starting point guard, did not play in that game. Uh, their their leading scorer did not have a good game at all in that game as well. So, uh, And again, I think Georgia Tech, probably not as bad as we thought we saw on Saturday against Syracuse. This is all about regressing back toward the mean, but for from the Syracuse perspective, it's just a matter of now you can look at this team and say, okay, this is not as bad of a team as we thought it might be after that three-game losing streak after you get shut out at Barclays Center and shut out in NYC for the second straight year. You you got a Power 5 win under your belt now. You've got an ACC win under your belt. And there are winnable games left in the non-conference to kind of end things here as non-conference play wraps up over the next couple of uh, next week or so, next two weeks or so, as we get toward the new year. You can take a, a, a deep breath and say, okay, we're in a better spot than we thought we were. We're not a perfect team. We're a young team. There are still plenty of things to work on, but we're in a better spot. I think a big reason for that, too, is they've shown now that they have options at point guard. Because we knew coming into the season it was going to be Jalen Carey. He gets pulled. JG3 comes in, puts up 24 against Seattle, and you say, okay, the point guard position is settled. JG3 is the next Jerry McNamara. We're not going to have a problem at that position all season long. Then you lose the depth because you don't have Jalen Carey off the bench with the thumb surgery. And then you're like, oh, wow, JG3, uh, he's not playing as well as we thought he was going to. And then Bryson Goodine, you're like, okay, we've got Goodine. Bouncy guy, can shoot the three. He'll be fine as a backup. Then you're like, ooh, Bryson Goodine's not looking great either. JG3's not looking great. Is Elijah Hughes going to have to play point guard? Like, there are some things where, you know, Jim Beheim is saying that Goodine's not playing well enough and that Joe's making freshman mistakes, but you can't have those mistakes. 
But then Howard Washington steps up in this game on Saturday. I thought he played an absolutely fantastic game. Eight assists. I'm pretty sure that led the team in assists on the game. To go through what he has gone through from a mental and physical standpoint, to have a season-ending knee injury as a freshman, then on your road to recovery, you have a stroke as a 20-year-old kid. That is unbelievable the kind of perseverance this kid has shown and he's shown off the bench a couple of times this season that he can shoot the three ball that he can put together a string of assists so to have that malleability and that flexibility and that ability to put in a veteran leader even though he hasn't seen the floor very much this is now year number three with the program for Howard Washington to be able to put that in as a calming presence at point guard when your other two options are both true freshmen who are still getting acclimated to the college game I think is going to be so critical for this team moving forward yeah no his journey has been absolutely incredible and that's something that you can't talk about enough when it comes to Howard Washington, just kind of showing the kind of person he is. But J.D., as you mentioned, he's also really good at passing and getting guys involved without turning the ball over and at the point guard position. If there's anything that Jim Beheim hates more than anything, it's turnovers from his point guards. Jalen Carey struggled with it. Joe Girard struggled with it. Bryson Goodine still learning to handle the ball. Howard Washington, like you said, hasn't played a whole lot at Syracuse. He knows exactly what he needs to do when he's on the court. And against Georgia Tech, when Joe Girard was really struggling, and Georgia Tech Tech seemed like they were starting to kind of come back into that game a little bit. Jim Boeheim calls the timeout, takes out Girard, puts in Howard Washington. Washington, maybe he's not the scoring threat that Girard is when he's hot, but he settles down the offense, he finds a tempo, he gets guys in rhythm, and he kept finding guys like Elijah Hughes and Buddy Beheim and getting them going and continuing to keep Syracuse hot. And then later in the game, when Syracuse, it, they had it all, it was the game was over basically, Howard Washington was able to help build the confidence of those younger guys, get them shots. Jesse Edwards had a couple of really, really nice pick and rolls, sets the screen, rolls to the hoop. Washington finds him for an easy two. And he's got a very interesting skill set and it's going to be really interesting on what he does with this team because one he's very important for the starting lineup but Howard Washington is also really important to help develop those younger guys and build their confidence on the floor here's the thing I think Joe Girard I don't want to call him flashy because I'm not sure his game is flashy I mean he put up the 50 points a game in high school and he had all those moments at Glens Falls and he's the local kid and he's he's the guy that can take the lid off the dome with a three-point shot So I guess he's the flashier of the two options, but I don't want to call him flashy in general, but for this analogy, I'll call him flashy. He's the flashy option. He's the guy that's going to start. He's the guy that's going to score more. He's the guy that's probably going to put together more assists on the season. He's going to be the guy that garners more playing time as a whole, but I think the key thing that you said about Howard Washington, he calms the team down. He takes it down and says, okay, We're not in a good spot right now. Let's get us in a good spot. I'm not going to make mistakes. I'm not going to make the flashy pass. I'm not going to put up, you know, six, seven assists per game on a consistent basis. But I'm going to come in. I'm going to make the right passes. I'm going to make the right decisions. I'm going to play good fundamental defense. And I'm going to get us settled in so that JG3 can come back in and be that flash. I think that's super important for this team because, again, we're harping on a little bit. But this team is so young. So, so, so young. And there's an article on orangefizz.net 
where you can see, is Syracuse the young, one of the youngest teams in the ACC? And they are one of the younger teams in the ACC. And, and really, the freshman class is being relied upon a lot more heavily than it is in other spots in the ACC. Because you look at the top teams in the ACC right now, you've got Louisville, who again, they just lost, and they're another team that's going by the curse of the number one team in the country. But their best player is Jordan Wara. He's an upperclassman. You look at Virginia, best player probably Mamadi Diakite, upperclassman. You look at North Carolina, best player Cole Anthony, but one of the best, if not the best freshman in the country who plays well beyond his years, so very mature. Syracuse doesn't have that type of freshman. But you look at the ACC in general, and there isn't really a team where there isn't a ton of veteran leadership like Syracuse doesn't have. They have a successful team, I should say. They have Elijah Hughes. They have Buddy Beheim. But again, Buddy's a sophomore, and he's one of the quote-unquote veteran leaders of this team. Barama Sidibe is a junior, but he hasn't played pretty much at all his first two years, and he's a quote-unquote veteran leader of this team. Howard Washington can be that guy, and I think that's why he makes such an intriguing prospect for this Syracuse offense. I'm not saying he's going to start because I think JG3 is going to be the starter unless he continues to really go in the wrong direction. I think he's kind of locked that in with the 24 against Seattle and with the scoring threat he brings. But Howard Washington can be that nice, calming presence. He can give you, I don't know, maybe 5-3 and three a game. That's all he needs to be. He doesn't need to be this flashy presence that JG3 is. He can just be that calming presence. All right, that's where Syracuse basketball is at right now. But let's take a look at what they're going to be looking like moving forward. Where is Howard Washington going to fit in as ACC plays or rolls around? How is this game today against Georgetown looking? Uh, there's a lot of things to talk about with the Hoyas as this rivalry matchup gets closer. That's coming up at 1 o'clock today down in Washington, D.C. And we'll preview it for you here, right here on the score, 12 6 All right, it's rivalry time. Let's talk some Syracuse-Georgetown hoops. That game coming up later today. 1 o'clock down in D.C. Syracuse coming in this uh, into this rivalry matchup with a win under their belt, their win against Georgia Tech, but also a win in the series last year. Tyus Battle with the near buzzer beater in the Dome to come back and beat the Hoyas in what was an absolutely wild finish. And I guess my first question is for you, Thomas. This was such a heated rivalry going into the Big East days and going back and the Ewings and and you know the Thompsons of the world and and, and Coach Beheim coaching against Georgetown and you know Manly Fieldhouse is officially closed and all this kind of stuff. But now that they've been out of the Big East for a couple of years, Syracuse has and this is no longer has as much weight, at least in terms of where the season goes. Is this still a rivalry matchup? I tend to believe it is because I think there's bad blood, especially since Coach Beheim is the coach at Syracuse and. Patrick Ewing is the coach at, at Georgetown. He's one of the all-time greats for the Hoyas. I think it is, but where do you kind of lie on that spectrum? I think this and UConn are and should be the two biggest rivals for Syracuse because you can come into the ACC, and yeah, Syracuse is kind of rivals with Duke, but everyone in the ACC I need to stop Duke. that in its tracks. I, I'm not a fan of it either. Like, they're not. Like, Syracuse is the only person, is the only team that thinks Duke is their rival. Like, it, it, nobody else in the ACC thinks... Oh, yeah, Syracuse's biggest rival? Duke. Yeah, that's a thing. Duke and UNC is a rivalry. Syracuse and Duke is not. But go ahead. I, I hate to break it to Syracuse fans, but I'm from North Carolina, and Duke's rivals go UNC, NC State, and then, like, maybe Wake Forest. Like, it, it's just not the same. And obviously, I mean, this is Tobacco Road. This is ACC, you know, the bread and butter of ACC. Syracuse, it's tough being the new guy on the block when you're kind of entering a, a new conference 
and it's tough to find these new rivals, and Pitt has kind of historically been a Syracuse rival. I think these rivalry matches against Georgetown, UConn, your Texas, Texas A&Ms, your Missouri, Kansases of the world, when teams switch conferences, these rivalries should still go on. Luckily, Syracuse is playing Georgetown this year. That's not going to be the case every year, and they don't play UConn this year, which is kind of deflating, I think, for the season as we go on, because that's always a really fun matchup every single year. I think the UConn thing, uh, UConn is such an interesting case because I kind of grew up a little bit of a UConn fan. Like if I had to pick a college basketball team to root for growing up, being from Massachusetts, it was UConn. Uh, And I just think it's such an interesting case because UConn is so inextricably linked to the Big East. And I love the fact that UConn next year is going back to the Big East in every sport except football. I think that's going to be so good for them um, and kind of their rivalries and playing teams that they're familiar with. UConn-Georgetown, pretty good rivalry back in the day. Yeah. Um, and, you know, those kinds of things. But when you look at this Georgetown game, for me, I just think there's more bad blood here than with any other team, uh, you know, in, in, in the ACC, certainly, except maybe Pitt. I think Pitt-Syracuse is a pretty big rivalry, um, ma- mainly because of what Jamie Dixon did to Coach Bayheim when uh, Jamie Dixon was the head coach at Pitt and kind of was leading one of the best programs in the country. But now Pitt is on a, on a bit of a downturn. Jeff Capel's hoping to kind of bring them back on the uprise. But Duke is always fun, and I think the fact that the games have been close and there have been some upsets for Syracuse has made it seem like more of a rivalry than it is. But for me, when it comes to Syracuse basketball, and I'm not somebody that grew up as a Syracuse basketball fan, so I'm not even thinking from a historical perspective from a fan sense, but just from the pure amount of history and the animosity and the hatred that was there. Like, if you ask Buddy Beheim, who's been around this program quite literally his entire life, who the biggest rival for Syracuse basketball is, it's Georgetown. Like, he hates Georgetown. He does not like them. So for me, Georgetown still is one of the bigger games of the season every single year. Oh, absolutely. I think just based on how much history and bad blood, like you said, is between these two programs, that's never going to change. And fans aren't going to forget that anytime soon. It's just, this is the thing about when teams switch conferences and there's all this maneuvering is you you can tend to lose these rivalries at times. And it's good that still right now, this is a rivalry still going on, and especially with Pat Ewing. As the Georgetown head coach, obviously Jim Beheim has been in these rivalries for in these matchups for decades now. There's just so much bad blood and so much history and so much just pure hatred towards the other side, which frankly makes the best, the absolute best rivalries in sports is when the two opponents, the coaches hate each other, the fan bases hate each other, the players hate each other. That's why this is Syracuse's biggest rival. Well, I think when I think rivalry, at least for me growing up in Massachusetts, the biggest rivalry I can think of is Yankees-Red Sox. And I grew up in Massachusetts, but I grew up a Yankees fan because my dad's from Connecticut and there's there's a whole thing. I don't need to explain. I've explained it rough. far too many times in my lifetime. But those like they hate each other. They really do. Uh, and Syracuse is coming into this game on a two-game winning streak when it comes to Georgetown. They beat them down in D.C. with a wonderful comeback win where Tyus Battle was unreal. Uh, two years ago, Tyus Battle was great last year and the game-winning shot. No Tyus Battle this season, but Georgetown's missing a lot of pieces. They're kind of in the midst of a bit of a scandal. Uh, Patrick Ewing dismissed a couple of players from the program uh, a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, multiple players are currently under criminal investigation um, for burglary and assault. Their starting point guard, James Akinjo, has left the program. He's not looped in with that same burglary and assault case, but he has left the program. He was one of their best players. I'm not saying that Georgetown's not going to be a good matchup, 
but maybe if you're Syracuse right now, you're kind of catching that at the right, catching them at the right moment. They're a little bit depleted in terms of just the pure numbers they have, with four guys um, kind of being dismissed from the program and having issues at the current moment. But you've still got a guy in Omer Yurt Seven who is one of the best bigs in the country. He's an NC State transfer, and we saw how much Syracuse struggled against Penn State with their skilled bigs, and with Iowa and their skilled big. This might not be a great matchup for Syracuse matchups wise, but they've got maybe the numbers on their side. Well, that's the thing, JD. Like this is like you said, this is the perfect time for Syracuse to play Georgetown. They're dealing with these scandals. James Akinjo, like you said, wasn't involved, but he has left the program and he was, you know, averaging thirty one minutes a game. They lost their point guard, they lost their backup guard and Josh LeBlanc, but I just don't see Barama Sadibe or any Syracuse big being able to go down low, and not just body or hang with, but just hang on by a thread against Omar Yurt 7. He's just so much bigger and so much more dominant than any big that Syracuse has on the roster. And while they're catching Georgetown at the right time, I don't know if it's enough just because of the strengths and the weaknesses of these two programs. If you can handle Yurt 7, you can limit him. He's averaging what, 19 and 9 a game thereabouts. That's a, yeah. Those are pretty good numbers. And he's a really, again, skilled big man. If you can contain him, I don't think that Georgetown has enough scoring options outside of him, especially without Akinjo. The other guy to look at is Mac McClung, who's kind of coming into his own in his second season. He's the guy that went viral with all the crazy dunks when he was in high school. I think it was in West Virginia. He had a great game in the Dome last year, shot the lights out, didn't have an especially efficient season as a whole as a freshman, but now he's up to shooting about 40% from three. 43. Yeah, he's a dangerous guy that can make you that can make you pay. But outside of those two guys, this team doesn't scare me a ton if you're Syracuse. And I also think this is a huge game for Syracuse moving forward. It's your last big test of non-conference play because of the rest of the way. You've got Oakland, North Florida, and Niagara as your last couple of non-conference games before you get into the heart of ACC play. This is your last big test. You're likely going to... I don't want to say likely because Syracuse has fallen to lesser non-conference opponents in the last couple of years. You think back to a St. John's game a few years ago. You think back to St. Bonaventure two years ago, Old Dominion last year. They've fallen to lesser quote-unquote non-conference opponents, so I don't want to give them three wins. But this is definitely by far your biggest test left in the non-conference, and you've got to... You've got to think that in their minds, you're like, okay, we're coming off a conference win against Georgia Tech. That's huge. We've got a Power 5 win now. This is our last Power 5 opponent. Or not Power 5, but a a high major. This is your last high major opponent before conference play. This is going to kind of set the tone for what they do when they get into conference play coming up after the new year. Yeah, this is a huge game. I mean, obviously, it's going to be a hostile environment down in D.C., so we'll get to see kind of what the, how the freshmen handle that environment playing in a big rivalry game for the first time in their young careers. It'll be it'll be a lot of fun, I think. It's going to be a tough matchup and really if Syracuse wins this game, a huge momentum boost as you have those kind of weaker non-conference games coming up before you start the ACC onslaught really is if if they lose this game, that that's a bad sign for the rest of the season, and maybe those early non-conference games against Big Ten and Big 12 teams, maybe that's kind of an indication of what they were. But if they win, it gives this team a lot of confidence, and it gives the fans a lot of optimism that, well, yeah, there's going to be ups and downs with this really young lineup, but at the same time, they played really well against Georgia Tech, and if they follow that up with a big win against Georgetown, 
That's going to boost him going into the rest of the season. One other interesting note. Since this entire kind of scandal happened with Georgetown and the, and the four players being suspended and, and, uh, and out of the program, they're 2-0. and Like, they've won two games against two undefeated teams. They beat an Oklahoma State team that trounced Syracuse at the Barclays Center, and then they beat an undefeated SMU team as well. So this is a formidable Georgetown team that presents some matchup problems. I think the big thing, like I said, can Syracuse limit your seven, and what does Mac McClung bring to the table? Those are the keys to look for uh, moving forward into this matchup coming up later today, 1 o'clock, down in D.C. Keep it locked on Twitter, at OrangeFizz, for updates and coverage throughout the game. Should be a fun matchup for Syracuse basketball, but when we come back after the break, it's time to talk some Syracuse football. Fizmus National Signing Day, early National Signing Day, coming up next Wednesday. We'll give you a quick primer for who's going to sign, where Syracuse stands in terms of class size and class ranking, and maybe a couple of wrinkles that could be thrown into National Signing Day next Wednesday. That's coming up on the other side. This is Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. All right, Thomas, we're back here on Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. We talk Syracuse basketball, big game coming up later today against Georgetown. But let's talk a little bit of Syracuse football, Fizz Miss. And if you don't know what that is, that is early National Signing Day coming up on December 18th. That is next Wednesday, so just a couple of days away. A lot of guys getting ready to sign for Syracuse. Currently sitting as the 54th best class in the country. That's an improvement from last year, which was 56th in the country, according to 24-7 sports. They're 11th in the ACC, so only a couple of teams are below them. And it's teams you'd expect to be below them and recruiting Virginia Tech, Virginia, and Duke. I'm just not sure I love this class as much as I honestly liked last year's class, which is a bit a bit better rated than this year's class is. Yeah, it's kind of a deflating class and granted that's because it was kind of a deflating season for Syracuse right everything surrounding the program right now is a little bit eh. right and last year they finished 56 overall this year they're sitting at 54th which I mean I guess if you want to look at it that way it's a bit of an improvement but the thing that separated this class from last year's there was some really high quality top end guys at the top of that recruiting class a year ago you really just solidified your linebacker core Michael Jones, Lee Pogba, excuse me, and then at safety, Cornelius Nunn. You had a lot of just really talented guys come in. This year, the top of the class isn't as stout, I guess is is a good word to say. I mean, it's just there's not a ton of excitement. They have one offensive line commit, and he's got to put on a ton of weight. And obviously, offensive line was probably the biggest issue a year ago. Maybe Dino Babers can swing in and say, you know, we've got these guys in the program already that we think can step up and develop in, in another year and in the off season they'll be better and the next year we'll be back on track. But those guys weren't there this year. And a lot of times the freshmen that you bring in are kind of the excitement during the off season. Those are the guys you kind of rally around that maybe, hey, we got to tackle in this class that can really boost our offensive line. This, this class doesn't have that. It, it's really... I mean, look, there's a lot of time left, but it's kind of disappointing so far. I think the thing that made me like the class last year more, aside from the fact that you had Mikel Jones and Lee Koba at the top of it, along with Neil Nunn, who we didn't end up seeing this season, but is going to be a big piece of the class moving forward, is that they recruited really well to need. I don't think they did that as well this season because, like you said, offensive line was such an issue this year. You finally seem to find the right combination with moving Carlos Federello to center and Matthew Bergeron to right tackle and Aaron Service to left tackle, and that'll be the core next season uh, for Syracuse as well with all three of those guys coming back. 
but you only have one offensive lineman in this class, and it's Garth Barclay. Big guy, 6'7", but he's only 250 pounds. He's going to need to pack on an immense amount of weight to play tackle in the ACC and do it successfully. I think the other thing, too, is when you look at the class from last year, you look at Mikel Jones and Lee Koba, they're both rated at just about an 88 out of 100 on the scale for 24-7. The highest recruit is Ben LeBros. He's a safety out of Montreal in Canada, so another Canadian who could maybe make making some steps. He's rated at an 86.99. If he was in last year's class, he wouldn't even have been a top-five recruit in the class, and he's the number one uh, this year. I think one guy that's very intriguing, two guys really that are very intriguing that are have been late signees or late uh, commits, I should say, because none of them have technically signed yet, but have been late additions to this class. Latari Kinsler, he's a defensive end out of Pahokee, Florida. Super athlete. I wrote an article about him on orangefizz.net. Just search up his name. That's Latari, It's Latari Kinsler. You look at him, super athlete, long, fast, quick off the edge, kind of your prototypical speed rusher. A little bit different than Kendall Coleman and Alton Robinson, I think. I think those guys are more of, at least Alton was power mixed with speed. I think Latari Kinsler is a pure speed guy at six two and a, six foot two and a half, 204 pounds. And then the other guy who I believe you wrote an article about is Damian Alford, the newest addition to this class out of MacArthur High School in Hollywood, Florida. He's kind of your down-the-field threat wide receiver that Syracuse was missing this season. I think so when you look at what they've had the last couple of years, Amba Etawo was a bit of a more of a possession receiver that also had the deep threat capability. Then you had Steve Ishmael and Jamal Custis in the two years after Amba. They were both vertical threats downfield, big tall guys that can go up and catch footballs. And I think Tristan Jackson was a bit more of a possession receiver in the mold of Etawo. But you look at Damian Alford, six foot five, two hundred and ten pounds, the number three recruit in this class, a wide receiver big dude downfield threat that maybe Syracuse was missing. Yeah, no, I think Damian Alford's a very – he's outside of – I don't know. He's probably my second favorite besides Kinsler prospect-wise. He's six foot five. He can run like the wind. And what's really interesting, he's a, a three-star recruit, but he had offers from some of the biggest programs in the country, Florida, Georgia, Oklahoma, Florida State, Miami. Sometimes you don't look at the stars as much as look at the offer sheet – and he his is jam packed. I mean, if you look at his uh, his his tape, which I've posted on our uh, site Orange Fizz in the article about him, it's pretty impressive. Not only can he just run past guys, which at six foot five, not many guys can do. Obviously, he's really good at using his jump ball skills and just being bigger than everybody that's defending him. I mean, usually he's going to go up against maybe a tall defensive back at six foot one. He's still got four inches on him. That's a guy that Tommy DeVito can really use to his advantage. And Syracuse didn't really have that guy this year. Tristan Jackson, Taj Harris, neither of those guys are kind of that big receiver who you can just throw the ball to, you know, and you're in the red zone, just let him go up and get it, maybe move the chains. He brings it to this team. If he doesn't redshirt, I think he's an interesting component for the offense next season for Syracuse. I have a bit of a feeling he's going to redshirt just because that's typical for a wide receiver. It was pretty surprising when Taj Harris didn't redshirt two years ago. Uh, and you think uh, uh, to a guy like Ed Hendricks, who had a ton of hype coming out of high school in Washington, D.C., but he's had so many injuries uh, since he's come to Syracuse. He hasn't been able to play. Wide receiver's an interesting position moving forward. Another interesting position, I think, I wrote an article about 
one of these guys that plays this position that's tight end, and it's Luke Benson, about the freshman All-American, according to Pro Football Focus. And they do it strictly based on who had the best grades in the country um, for them. And if you don't know who, what PFF is, I, I'd suggest you, you read up. It's a yeah, really it's interesting service. They have guys quite literally watch tape, watch every single college football game, every single pro football game, and focus on specific players. So if you go to a Syracuse game, there will be one guy watching for the offensive lineman and one guy watching for the wideouts. So based on their uh, based on their grading system and the kind of the way things works, the way the way things work with PFF, they graded three Syracuse guys as either second or third team freshman All American, which is surprising considering uh, you know I was surprised when I saw it. Second team Matthew Bergeron, who the stats that they had before he became the starter and after he became the starter light years away. It was it prompted me to look at the stats and say, did this guy really have that much of an impact? He did. It's impressive. Check out the article online at orangefizz.net. Really interesting read. But the other guy, uh, Mikel Jones, was a third-teamer at linebacker, a guy we talked about who is going to be one of the linebackers moving forward for this team. But the third guy didn't play a ton, but when he did, made a huge impact. That's the tight end Luke Benson, former track star in high school, three touchdowns on eight catches this season. So almost 50% of his catches were for a score, and all three of them 20-plus yards, including a 70-yarder against Holy Cross in Week 4. The other guy in this 2020 class that I'm excited about is also a tight end. That's Stephen Mahar. He's a local product out of Aquinas Institute in Rochester. He's a pass-catching tight end. He's a blocking tight end. He's kind of the combo, honestly, of what I envision Aaron Hackett and Luke Benson to be. So you have Aaron Hackett, who caught, I think, six touchdowns this year, Luke Benson, who caught three touchdowns this year, and Stephen Mahar. All of a sudden, a position that has been useless under Dino Babers. Useless. They just haven't been good, and they really haven't been even utilized or attempted to be utilized. All of a sudden becomes one of the strengths of your football team at tight end. He's a really interesting prospect for me. Stephen Mahar, the only New York native in Syracuse's class. He's six foot five, two hundred twenty-five pounds. I mean, he's got to put on a little bit of weight. But usually, when tight ends come into college, it, their first season is almost like a redshirt season because they have to put on so much weight. They a lot of them have to learn how to block because they were just pass catching guys in high school because they were just that athletic, that much bigger. Stephen Mahar's already got some of that blocking skill coming in. Kind of more advanced than most high school tight ends that you see. So he'll be a very exciting product for the Syracuse team. It's really interesting that we're seeing kind of, obviously wide receivers still very important for Geno Babers, but he's starting to incorporate some more of those tight ends, and they're really making a big impact. Like you mentioned, Luke Benson had three touchdowns, and it wasn't that DeVito was simply airing it out and he was just making great plays. He would catch the ball and just outrun guys, which you don't see very much from a tight end. Obviously, Luke Benson... Not your prototypical tight end, a track star in high school. So Dino Babers is finding these really athletic, not in athletic, but not even raw tight ends and using them and making them a huge part of the Syracuse offense. One of the last guys, or the last guy that I'll mention in this class that intrigues me is James Williams. He's a kicker from Athens Academy in Athens, Georgia. He's actually rated on 24-7, which shows you a little bit of something because they usually don't rate kickers and punters. He's a three-star recruit, technically the lowest-end recruit in this class, but that's strictly because of the position he plays. In terms of Cole's kicking camps, which is the premier, those are the premier camps to not only train kickers and punters, but also to rank them. He's the number four punter in the country in terms of the guys that are coming in. The other three in front of him heading to South Carolina, Montana State, which is interesting, probably a scholarship situation, and then San 
Cam Johnson is currently unranked uh, as the top punter in the country. But James Williams, for Sterling Hoffrichter to be leaving, you need a punter next season. I don't envision anybody currently on the team being the punter. I think James Williams is your starting punter day one next season. Can he be Sterling Hoffrichter, be a three-time captain kind of guy, and be a guy that's in contention for the Ray Guy Award like Sterling was this season for Syracuse? We'll have to wait and see, but I think he's a really intriguing prospect at the back end of this class that could we could end up looking back four years from now and say, wow, James Williams was a huge pickup and could be something special. If you want coverage for the entire class, currently sitting at 16 guys, it could increase in size as we continue. It could also decrease. We'll have to wait and see. Follow us on Twitter, at OrangeFizz, for all the updates throughout National Signing Day. We'll have a full-on three-man staff bringing you all the updates throughout all of National Signing Day. We'll be doing with interviews interviews with as many of these guys as possible. Most of them have already agreed to interviews, so if you want to hear why they chose Syracuse and what you can expect from these guys moving forward, we'll have all of that on orangefizz.net, on our SoundCloud, Orange by searching Orange Fizz, and also on Twitter, at Orange Fizz. Alright, that's what football is looking like moving forward for Syracuse. We'll see where the kind of things kind of shake out for National Signing Day, but when we come back, it's everybody's favorite time. It's Fizz Feedback. That's coming up on the Score 1260. It has been an absolutely packed show here on Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Just a couple of minutes left with you, taking you up to the top of the hour, J.D. Rachi alongside Thomas Schultz. And it is time to break down some Fizz feedback, Thomas. What do we got? So our first question is, which SU football freshman All-American will be the most valuable next season? And as J.D. just mentioned last segment, those three are O-lineman Matthew Bergeron, tight end Luke Benson, and linebacker Michael Jones. And 46% go to the linebacker Jones JD, I gotta disagree with Fizz. Nation I also here. disagree. I think O line was the humongous problem of the year all season. I know it's close, but Matthew Bergeron deserves the edge here. I think it's Matthew Bergeron as well. Right tackle, not as important a position as left tackle, but he he changed the offensive line completely when he came into the game for Syracuse and started starting, uh, starting with that Florida State game after Ryan Alexander left the program. Thirty plus sacks in the first seven games of the season less than 15 in the final five games when Matthew Bergeron was the starter. So much difference, run game included. Both of the two highest performances in terms of total rushing yards, Boston College and Duke, both with Bergeron as a starter. I think he is a game changer, going to be so valuable for this team moving forward to have some consistency on the offensive line, which is something they've been sorely lacking the last couple of years. All right, question number two on Fizz Feedback. How important was SU's win over Georgia Tech? This one was kind of a close one. The options doesn't matter, still bad. Wait and see it until Georgetown. Cautiously optimistic and they're back. 4% voting for their back. 22 for doesn't matter, still bad. 36 for wait until Georgetown. And it was a tie just moments ago, but now 38% are saying cautiously optimistic. I wanna I wanna lean the optimism route. But I'm just not ready to do that. I want to see what happens. Today against Georgetown down in D.C., we mentioned it earlier, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I think this really dictates which way the season goes. I'll be a little bit more optimistic. I'll say cautiously optimistic. I'll agree with the second-place vote there on Fizz Feedback on that specific poll. Uh, I just think this team is so young, and you've got to remember this is the third-youngest team in the ACC. Only Duke and Virginia Tech are younger. And when you look at those other two teams that are young, Duke's young because they got one-and-dones all over their roster, and that's what they always have. And Virginia Tech is young because they're replacing a guy, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who was a lottery pick last season in the NBA draft. I think Syracuse has more young. I don't want to sell. I, I think there's more talent in the young pieces at Virginia Tech and Duke than there is at Syracuse. 
Syracuse is not only young, but they're also not as skilled at those young spots as those other two teams are. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be, like we mentioned earlier, a season of progression for Syracuse. There's going to be a lot of lows. There's going to be some highs. There's going to be a lot of frustrations for Syracuse fans, but there's some promising pieces. I think all of these freshmen who are playing all bring something different to the table and are all pretty promising for this team, and I'm excited to see what they bring for the future. Going to be interesting to see what they bring for the future today, the future in just a couple of hours, 1 o'clock matchup, the heated rivalry, Syracuse and Georgetown down in D.C. Follow us on Twitter, at OrangeFizz, for updates throughout that one. And then National Signing Day, that's the big thing for Syracuse football. That's coming up on Wednesday Early morning, afternoon, we'll be here all day for you on SoundCloud at OrangeFizz, on Twitter at OrangeFizz, and on the website at OrangeFizz.net. All right, that'll do it for us here on Fizz Radio. For Thomas Schultz, I'm J.D. Rachi saying so long. Enjoy the game today against Georgetown, and enjoy Fizzmas on Wednesday.